What's up, everyone? This is episode number 45 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. All right. Um, so last week, I talked quite a bit about Panini's new blockchain initiative and what I thought it could be. I've heard a lot of negative stuff about it from other sources, but I wanted to try and give it the benefit of the doubt. You know, I was genuinely excited about the possibilities when it came to records keeping. You know, think about how much value you could add to a card by knowing who had owned it or that it hadn't undergone any questionable changes throughout its existence. Um, As part of last week's episode, I also voiced some of my hesitations towards the program Mainly the fact that Panini is just too incompetent from a logistics and technological standpoint to actually pull this thing off. Um, And I also felt like the 100 101s was a horrible idea, even if it's just a starting point. Well, they rolled this thing out this week, and it's just not good. And we have our first 10 cards up for purchase. Four of them are basketball cards. Um, We've got Damian Lillard, Kobe Bryant, Kobe White, two very different Kobe's, um, and then a Ja Morant and Rui Hachimura dual auto. And the last one that I mentioned, the Morant and Hachimura, has photoshopped stickers on it. And that might be the only thing that's actually worse than a sticker auto. Um, All of these started at $100,000 and then the price drops every once in a while. I don't know. They had to start it really early because these are going to be around a while. They're falling slowly. Um, when I was looking at it on Tuesday, all 10 cards were still there and they were around $68,000 a piece. So um, who knows what those are going to go for, how far they're going to drop, but I don't see them selling anytime soon. Um, also, I was really hoping that the physical copy of the card would accompany the digital version or serve as some sort of card reserve to help the digital copy maintain its value. Well, they don't actually put this on the blockchain website. You have to go and and find the information in several different places, which is another foul on Panini's part, but they've already screwed this up. Instead, the fine print indicates that they're giving the first buyer the option to keep the digital and physical versions together or to separate them. And they're using the digital version to try and bring some extra value to the physical version when I think it really should be the other way around. Um, I'm disappointed. I'm not surprised. I know there's a lot of negative feelings towards Panini and the hobby in general. I don't always fall into that camp. I think there are some things that Panini does really well, but the way they structured and handled this whole blockchain thing so far, it flat out sucks. Uh, Anyway, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I'm really excited about today's episode. Um, Just a little bit of personal background here before we jump in. A lot of you know that I'm a big Pacers collector. I've talked about my old Ron Artest collection on here before. Well, um, back in 2004 when Ron got suspended for the remainder of the season, I needed another player to collect as a a, um, small side project. So I decided to collect David Harrison because he was the Pacers' first round draft pick that year. I've talked about his exquisite RPA on here before. I was having a lot of trouble finding one even many years later. It led me to believe that the print run wasn't right or that something happened to the rest of the cards. 
and I wanted to find out for myself. So I messaged David on Twitter to see if he knew anything about it. And we exchanged a few messages, and then he was gracious enough to agree to come on the show. And before I play the audio, I want to add a couple of disclaimers here. Um, First, he mentions Thanksgiving. We recorded this episode back in November. Um, I know the audio is pretty rough in parts, especially at the beginning. Please hang with me. The reception on our call got better over time. I didn't want to scrap this thing just because a couple minutes were hard to understand. Um, I don't need a million messages from people telling me that the audio is messed up. Okay, um, I'll do my best to jump in at times in order to fill in some of the pieces, but it gets better as the episode goes along as far as the quality of the audio. Um, also, David talks about a handful of guys over the course of the interview without using full names. Um, you know, Some of them you'll know, you guys will pick up on. Um, but I, just just in case for clarification, I think the first one is uh, Jackson Broman, who was a rookie with the Suns in 2004. Uh, he tragically passed away in 2015. He talked about two guys named Larry and Donnie, um, which refers to Larry Bird, which you guys know, and then Donnie Walsh. Um, they were Pacers executives at the time when David was there. Both are still involved with the team in much smaller capacities. Um, he talks about Rick. Well, that's his first NBA coach with the Pacers, Rick Carlisle. I think he also talks about Kevin O'Neill, who was an assistant under Carlisle. Like I said, I'm going to jump in and clarify some of the parts with broken audio along the way, but that should be enough to get you started. So without further ado, here's my interview with former Pacers center David Harrison. I hope you enjoy. All right, joining me today is a a guest I'm really excited about having on the show, Um, just a few little bits of trivia here. This is someone that actually made an appearance on season 15 of uh, MTV's The Real World. Uh, his father, Dennis, was a pro bowler with the Philadelphia Eagles. My guest was selected 29th in the 2004 NBA draft, and I actually collected his cards for a while. We'll get more into that later. Um, he was present for the infamous Pacers Pistons brawl in Detroit. He had the opportunity to play basketball in China. A former teammate described him as a smart guy and a deep thinker, and former coach Rick Carlisle described him as a terrific competitor. So I'm here with former Pacer David Harrison. David, how's it going today? Doing good, thank you. Uh, it's kind of cool hearing those little, little snippets of trivia. Little Even cooler trivia question is, my little sister plays in the WNBA right now, Isabel. Yes, I actually have a, a good friend who's a, a huge Tennessee fan. And uh-huh. he said, you have to tell him that she was my favorite Lady Vol. So I have already checked that one off. She's amazing. Uh, recovering from injuries, coming back. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy seeing her and my other little sister, Dory, play. All right. So like I said before, I'm really happy to have you on the show today. Um, I've heard you on a couple of other podcasts before. There will be some overlap. Um, but this is a show about basketball cards, so... I think it's safe to say that all my listeners are either collectors or investors that chase these cards and have been doing so for a while. Uh, but it should be really fun to hear from someone that's kind of been on the other side of things and, and someone that was actually on cards. So um, I mentioned that your I already mentioned that your dad played in the NFL. From what I've seen, he has a, a handful of different football cards. And yeah. I don't I don't know if you've ever had those growing up, but do you have any type of history with sports cards in general prior to playing in the NBA? There is a store down at Nashville called The Great Escape 
they will sell cards, comics. Uh, it's right next to Vanderbilt. And uh, that's where, uh, actually, the first time I saw one of my dad's cards uh, in there. And uh, the kid that like uh, went up and bought it asked him to sign it. I was probably like four or five years old. I just, I stole it. I totally remember that. And then I remember going through the, the piles and seeing them, uh, the tops one, uh, one where he's like jumping in the air. One of there's like a picture of him with his beard. Uh, I mean, it, it was, it was really cool seeing my father on those little cards that everyone like loved, you know? Yeah. It kind of, um, just kind of like legitimized, everything for you right it's like here here's my dad on on an actual card that you're pursuing it's pretty cool right was what he did or who he was you know what i mean right like like i i played sports you know what i mean like you know like i just it, it, it just showed me a whole other world that i had no i had no idea was out there seeing that made me want to be a professional something hmm and that, and it's interesting though that that you actually end up ended up playing basketball. Uh, did you play football at some point? If I had to do it over again with these new rules in football, I would probably football. Um, but uh, yeah, I played all through high school. I even thought about doing dual at uh, Colorado, but uh, Coach Pat and Dad, Coach Barnett talked me out of it. They didn't need me; they had Dad Graham. So right. <laughs> It was, uh, it, it, I love football. It's, it's my favorite sport to, to play. Uh, basketball was my favorite sport to learn. Right. I imagine, um, you know, every time someone sees a seven footer, they're going to do everything they can to kind of steer you towards basketball. My, my school was very football, uh, very football oriented. And I was the first McDonald's all American for my school center. That three more, I mean, two more. But, I mean, before me, there was, you either played football, basketball was something that happened, like, when football season wasn't going on. Now, I mean, they've won six, seven, eight championships. I mean, it's it's amazing looking at the, the growth of that program. Wow. Um, all right, so let's, um, let's kind of segue more into the cards here. So, like I said, your dad was on a card. Whatever you, you thought about that. About cards at that time, um, you know, as as you grew up, maybe that was was going to change. I know before the NBA season even started, you had already signed cards in a Colorado uniform for a couple of companies called Sage and Press Pass. And I would just based off of the print numbers that I've seen, I I would say that easily you signed probably a couple thousand cards apiece for those two companies alone. That was before even playing. You know, even being drafted, I think. Um, so this is kind of a question that all collectors have always wondered about. Do you have any recollection of, of what do they pay you guys for those signatures? Like, how does that work? It was so long ago. I, I do not remember the process. I just remember you get a room inciting page after page after page after page after page after page, page of cards. Uh, I legitimately, I went to a conference room uh, and there, there's a person that's a lot to him. I remember that part. And you just sign right in front of him. Uh, even before that, you know, uh, playing cards. I mean, like, I collected baseball cards, uh, right. mainly. Uh, 
basketball cards. I had a few, but I had way more baseball cards than anything. Because uh, that was my first sport was baseball. That was the, I liked that one the most. Uh, okay. And then uh, after, like I said, after, like, when, when, after we were, I was signing all these things, I was like, thinking about that. I was like, wow. Like, I didn't even realize what a baseball card, a basketball card was until I was like 10. So it's like, it's like a brave new world, like a huge market. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, basketball cards at one point were so unpopular that um, they really weren't manufacturing a lot of them in the 80s. So we were still kind of trying to catch up to that. And, and LeBron obviously helped that out quite a bit. And then you were the year after that. Um, so you mentioned signing pages and pages of this stuff. Some of these were on card. Some of these you just signed sheets of stickers. Uh, which yeah. one did you prefer? The stickers is way Way faster, um, yeah. You just don't have to move. You, you don't have to move your hand as far. And then, like with the cards, it's almost like, like when you sign a card, like you have to like put it in the right place. Yeah. You know, you got you got you don't sign over your face, and, and and every time the problem was was it wasn't the same card every every time. It was a different card almost every other time. So you're you're looking. Okay, I didn't send this one here. I didn't send this one here. I didn't send this one here. Um, so it's just more decision making in the other process. Yeah, we uh, I know as as collectors, we've seen some of these cards like whole batches of them signed in the wrong spot, and it's easy to be critical. But we do have to consider just how much is is being signed in one setting. Um, I know you mentioned that you were they set you down in a conference room to sign a lot of this stuff. Um, over yeah. the years, I've I've heard rumors of players having maybe friends and family members sign some cards for them, um, without naming any specific names. Did you ever talk to any players about that, or do you know of any players that finally just threw in the towel and had someone else sign for them? At that time, I think there was that digital signature ability. Okay. Um, like an uh, auto pen machine. Yeah, something like that. I remember. Um, that we could like opt into and when someone would like request something signed from us, they could do it that way. Um, like laser etched or something on it or something. I don't remember. So, but that was probably uh, more through the, was that through the team? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I I don't, I I so long ago, I don't remember. It was like a a policy that I never did. I think it was a request, you know, well, it's just funny how you can look at these cards over time and see how your signature changes. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, though, I, yours actually stayed fairly consistent. Uh, yeah, I had D and then some squigglies and an H <laughs> and a squiggly and then two dots, essentially, but uh, 13 every now and then. But um, yeah. it's just, you have to have something that's just not super time-consuming. Right. Because um, if you just I, – I, when I was in high school, I didn't realize that. So I would – Kids, I mean, were asking me for autographs back then. I would sign my name in full cursive. It would take so long. <laughs> right. I I think, yeah, I think you kind of maintained a good balance. You weren't like a guy like Maurice Ager, I think, at one point just started signing a check mark or an X or something ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's kind of move through, you know, your career. And, and at, you, you were signing these cards before that. Um, so the Pacers draft you in the first round, and, and you get to take part in some of the rookie festivities, which uh, includes a photo shoot and some of these signing sessions that I, I'm, I figure is what you're referring to. I've seen some of the cards from 
upper deck where you're pictured in a jersey where you don't even have a number on it yet. As best as you can remember, what what was that day like and and uh, what sticks out to you from that day? It was fun because uh, I've met most of the other people in that draft, you know. Um, so it was fun seeing, like, you know, everybody, Josh, children. Um, Jackson was, you know, was awesome. Um, uh, he, he, like, got, like, 40 points, like, 30 in the second half or something. Uh, it, was, it was just fun. It was, like, a little bit of reunion. And then, uh, like, doing that photo shoot was really cool because uh, – I th- those cards really weren't released. It was just kind of like a little private collection and everybody signed one, everybody else. Um, and yeah, I still have boxes of those things. It's insane. Hmm. Out every now and then. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really cool experience. I never did anything like that again in my career. Okay, so uh, I have a, a theory um, about one of the cards that you signed after this photo shoot, and I, I sent a picture of it to you earlier. Um, so suppose it's it's from a set called 2004 Upper Deck Exquisite. They were like thicker cards. They're like, you know, more of a premium set. And um, supposedly there were 225 of them, but your copy does not show up with the same regularity as all the other ones of all the other players no matter you know what caliber the player, I would I've talked to set collectors. They say that yours is the hardest one to track down, and one copy sold a couple months ago for a hundred bucks. This was a couple months ago, um, so I'm under the impression that, and maybe you can help me out here. There, I think there are less than 225 of them out there. Spill the beans, David. Did you knock a stack over on accident or something? What happened? Uh, I, I, just, I mean, I don't have those in my closet or anything, so, uh, <laughs> no, um, I, I have no idea. Um, I mean, that's the thing. I remember them talking about that set, and you asked that question, and I, I remember that card. Uh, I've signed it multiple times, uh, but I, I don't, I just, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's really cool. Uh, I'm rare, probably because, uh, probably because they didn't like me back then, so they were trying to get rid of me already. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess it's still a mystery to me then. We'll, maybe I'll figure out someday. Maybe someone from Upper Deck will spill the beans. But at least oh, I know I, you don't have them in your closet. No, they're not. They're not, they're not they're maybe there's a little bit somewhere, but not in the closet. <laughs> All right. I wanted to talk to you about a, a typical day in, in your rookie season, but you know when you look at your rookie season and you realize that the, the brawl in Detroit was maybe a month into your season, there probably wasn't a much thing as a, a such thing as a typical day. So, but let's start with everything prior to November 19th. How did you feel that you were handling your adjustment to the NBA just in that short time? I wasn't adjusting very well to the NBA. I, had, I, missed, I missed college essentially. Uh, all my friends were college. Um, I was I was working out two times a day, every day. Um, like I said, uh, there's a picture of me online. You know, it was me, Larry, and Donnie, and Rick. And we're, I'm holding up the jersey, and everyone's smiling. And I would say 30 minutes after that, I'm I'm working out in the gym. I'm I'm they're putting me through drills and everything like that. And uh, like I said, Kevin O'Neill really, really put me through that process, taught me a lot, and uh, helped me adjust to just learning the system. Uh, it's a different game, uh, and he really, really, really helped me with that. Wow. Um, 
here you probably would never imagine this um kevin o'neill actually has a, a basketball card with the pacers too you mentioned that name um they made a set one year with like the assistant coaches in it which not surprisingly that didn't last he's a really good guy he's a, a he's a, he's a great guy um but yeah it's really funny <laughs> Um, so I mentioned the brawl already and, and seeing as you were there and you were part of kind of the, you know, the big struggle to get out of there. I think I remember you were, you were hit by a chair even at one point, right? Among many other things. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that was at the end when they threw that chair down there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that was a crazy night, you know, um, luckily, you know, no one was seriously injured, but at the same time, you know, that was, that was a really wild night. There's even a new documentary out uh, about it on Showtime. Um, past it, you know, just happening a, a week ago. Uh, is that the is that part of the Ron Artest one? Yeah, the Quiet Storm. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah. What uh, I mentioned Ron here. What um, what were your impressions of Ron? What was it like being around him? I love playing with him. I mean, we, 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 we played together very rarely, but even when he was suspended, um, he trained with me. He would push me. He would try to tell me what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. Really, really nice guy. Um, like I said, I mean, it, that was such a crazy situation. If that happened to 10 other people, you may get the same result five times. I don't know. You know what I mean? But at the same time, uh, that happening to Ron, you're going to get that result every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, well, I mean, you know, we, and I'm sure the documentary covers it, but he did like, he had already been in therapy or anger management, you know, whatever it was called then. And, you yeah. know, he, he did what he was told to do, go to a safe spot. He laid on the table. Everything was good until, you know, the one guy has the perfect shot with the cup of beer. It's like the perfect storm of everything. Perfect that, storm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It can never be repeated. Um, I mean, I, so when I've been playing in China, funny story, um, I, I, I went through anger management and all those things as well. And the, the, the Chinese refs are on top of corrupt, horrible. Oh, wow. Um, it's it's legitimately it is, it is it is a show to be seen just watching these individuals, but um, uh, I, they, they say I committed a foul. It didn't happen, and I'm angry. And I'm like, I'm gonna go to my safe place. And there was this door that led to another gym, and I'm and I don't I don't I, don't, I wasn't re I was mad, but like I, I don't really remember doing this. The, the door didn't open, so. They said I ripped the door off its hinges, and I don't remember that at all. I remember just pushing the door to open it, and, like, it just fell. And I'm just like, I didn't do that. But, like, they had a video of it, and apparently I pushed it, and it didn't open, and then I, I just, like, ripped it off its hinges. So I was just like, I don't even remember doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, like, even in your safe place, uh, there's, 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 there's uh, a lot of uh, turmoil sometimes. Right. Yeah, that's, I always felt. games for that in China. It was crazy. I always felt bad for Ron. I was a huge Ron Artest fan, still am, but you know, I he was my guy. I always just felt bad for him. But um, so, like I said, there's a lot of brawl coverage out there. Um, do you have maybe one thing that sticks out to you that we didn't see on camera? Man, I, I think whatever's been 
they're everything on camera. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think people don't see the whole game. And that's the issue. Like, you, you have to watch the whole game to understand how that happened. Um, and, and and that, re- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. And, and really, even though I know you weren't there the year before, but like that, there was some, I, yeah. you know, some tension that was building. No, it was animosity. Like we were going into that game with like, we had our starters in up that amount and we had chances to take them out. And our goal was to crush them. Like we went up there to crush them. Rick, Rick wanted us to crush them. Um, and we did. Like we destroyed them. Yeah, <laughs> we beat them soundly, and it, and, it, and the thing is, is they didn't have an answer for it. There was there was no answer. There was nothing they could pull off their bench. There was nothing. You just have to watch the whole game. If you just look at that one moment, you don't understand how the frustration was building up on both sides. Um, that's how it works. You see two seconds, watch them forever. Right. You know, we hear a lot about how the brawl affected Ron and Jermaine and Steven Jackson. Um, this, but, you know, it had a pretty big impact on you as well. Just, I've, I've heard you talk a couple spots, you know, a couple places about it. You know, this is my last brawl question, but can you just summarize or even quantify how much that evening impacted you? It, it worried me every day. You know, the legal battle, um, it, it scared me. I was, so I was young. I had no idea what's going on. And, you know, they're talking about trying to put us in jail on top of taking our money, you know? Um, it, it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fear, but, um, hindsight, I wish I would have, uh, talked more about it and sought out more help, um, than trying to internalize it because, um, it really kind of started, uh, very kind of, downward spiral i would say for the next four years right and that's not even something that nba teams are really equipped to deal with either I, I, they, we had a, we had a really wonderful lady named kathy york that you could talk to um but uh, i mean but yeah back then mental health and all those issues i mean you have players coming out saying i press and all that other stuff I mean, I, I, I would say that I became very depressed during that time. Um, but that's the thing. Like, we're, we're, we're supposed to be supermen. We were not allowed to have those feelings. But now we can't, you know? Right. Yeah, things have changed quite a bit yeah. as, as far as perceptions. Yeah. So you ended up playing in the NBA for four seasons. Is that correct? Yeah. Four seasons, yeah. all of them with the Pacers. Um, and I can say I probably watched at least 90% of those games thanks to League Pass. Uh, I enjoyed watching you play. This was still an era where games were very physical. Um, Seven-footers were a valuable commodity. You know, you didn't have to shoot threes then. I I have just random memories of games. I can't tell you much about the game. I remember a a Friday night game against Toronto. I think you scored 22. So, you know, that was pretty exciting. Um, As far as cards go, to to kind of bring it back to cards, there there was a couple-year gap where you weren't in any sets and then Upper Deck decided to include you in their 2008-2009 set, which I think you were out of the league by then. Did you, did you even know about that card? Uh-uh, but I heard, but, uh, but I've seen it. And it was, it's kind of, that was the card that made everyone, like, say, no, you're still in the NBA. I see one of your cards. I'm like, nope, I'm in China, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the 2005 was the last year I was in Upper Deck until then, right. I think. 
Yeah, I think they only used you for two years. And then, um, yeah, it was weird. You just kind of showed up in a set later on, which I thought, you know, as a Pacers collector, I thought that was cool. But like you said, you were already in, you were in Beijing at that point, right? That's a call up or deck, apparently. Like, there's like a mystery surrounding me and them many times over. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so after all of the all of the China stuff, you eventually settled back in Indianapolis. Came back, uh, went and uh, joined a uh, financial institution. I uh, got licensed Series Seven, Series Six, C Six, and this year I stepped away and I am kind of uh, help doing a private equity aspect of a fund uh, that I'm assembling. So um, it's been interesting. I wish I would have uh, played longer and made more money because this would be way easier. But uh, uh, it's been very interesting. I, I like what I'm doing now. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, markets and building companies, helping people, network, expand, grow. You know, it, it's, a, uh, it's a very interesting little, uh, little thing I'm trying to build here. Awesome. Well, I've seen um, from time to time. Maybe it's on your Twitter. Maybe maybe it's actually on TV. But I've seen pictures and video of you at Pacers games. I think maybe so. Maybe it has been a little while. But the last time I saw you, um, you might have been sitting with Chris Copeland. I know you guys go back to the Colorado days. So it seems like you still follow the NBA some today. Uh, you know what really got me engaged back to watching was kind of. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid, uh, big guys playing. Uh, I like watching big guys play. Um, that really hasn't been the game, so I, I kind of haven't watched. But uh, even with the Pacers, they have two really good big guys I like to watch play. So, yeah, it's been kind of re- like a little resurgence of that position. You know, uh, it's crazy. Like you said, uh, I was a, 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 a physical one of the bigger players but, you know, my entire life you're told, don't shoot that. Don't do that. Don't, you know. Uh, now it's step out behind the arc. What are you doing in the paint? <laughs> right. It's a completely different world. I mean, I don't even think I – I don't remember a three-pointer, you know, not even like a half-court heave. Like, I don't remember you shooting anything. Or- well, think, think about it. Uh, what's his name? He was a pacer for a second. Uh, for the Lakers. Um got pulled when he shot that three what is his name young guy youngest player ever be in the nba oh bynum Um, andrew bynum yeah yeah remember that three he took yeah and he got pulled he was that's what that's what he'd be doing right now if he was still in the league he's still young enough you know right um well it's like tristan thompson's trying to shoot threes now it's crazy crazy was the lopez I, i like i remember watching it thinking i'm having a seizure I'm like, what is Brooke doing? That, right. like, that looks so weird. Well, in China, it was insane. Uh, Jackson Roman. I, I played against Jackson from college, NBA, through China. Uh, right when he passed away, we were going to go to the league together. He, he, he stepped out and blasts a three and freaking wins the game with it. I'm sitting there just like, I've never seen you shoot that before. <laughs> you know, it, it was uh, – it, it's been a – it's, it's been a, a revolution, and now that, you know, like I said, Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, they shoot highest percentage guards. So, um, it's, it's, like I said, it's, it's been interesting watching uh, how the game's evolved. Um, 
especially, you know, sitting there like, well, hey, I'd like to be able to do that. No, 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 just stay inside, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I hate to bring up this name, but Jim O'Brien, which I think we have similar feelings towards him. But um, I know he he was trying to bring, to get Troy Murphy to shoot like 500 threes a summer. Um, so he was like trying to do this three point thing with the, some of the bigger guys too. Did he ever even encourage you to try it or it was still too early? He, he didn't encourage me to do anything other than to shut up essentially. Uh, I, I, I didn't, he, I learned absolutely nothing in that entire venue with him other than how vindictive a human being could be, but he didn't encourage me to do anything. Um, but yeah, Troy's a really good shooter. Um, I love playing with Troy because he did like the, he he would either go to the long post uh, on the other side and I could go to block to block. Um, it was awesome. Like I love playing with Troy. It's well, and it's crazy. You know, I have nothing uh, personally against Troy, but I just didn't like watching him. I didn't like him shooting threes. I didn't like James Posey standing out there shooting threes. But you know, that's kind of the way the league went, and now now it. It doesn't even face me, but I, I guess I just wasn't ready for it then. Oh, no, no, uh, that's the thing. I mean, as a player, it's disruptive, you know, like like a lot of these things. It's very disruptive to have a person that size being able to do that. And, I mean, you think about it. People don't think, remember, Larry's like 6'9", six, 6'10", six, you know. Um, but he's a big guy, and he could shoot the lights out. Right. So... Uh, like I said, I loved playing with him. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed playing with him. That was the only bright spot of the Ryan era. I was being able to play with Troy. He was there the season before with the trade. You know, in in life, there's like very few big events where I remember exactly where I was, and like some of the events are very serious. Uh, the brawl is one of them. Like I can remember exactly where I was when I learned that Jim O'Brien got fired. So I don't, I don't know if that's any consolation to you, but um, that was a good day for me. The, when I when when they didn't pick up my option, and there was like a there's like a story about it. Uh, they asked Jim O'Brien. He knew I was a huge Bob Dylan fan. Bob Dylan fan. I named my son Dylan. Okay. Um, and so uh, he's saying, he goes, the times they are changing. Like, that is like mocking me. And I was like, oh, oh wow. Um, but like now it's like, like I said, um, there's another song called Masters of War I'd like him to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, uh, uh, yeah, he's like I said, a very vindictive guy. Um, and, he, and he's just, he wasn't, the way he was, what he was trying to teach us. He's like a Sith Lord, essentially. Right. He was like teaching us the dark side of basketball, how to like step under people and put your arms in their face and stuff. You're like, this is not how you play. No. Um, but like, yeah, like Carlisle's a Jedi. You know, he's a Sith Lord. Yeah, Carlisle always had really good things to say about you. Like every article I read, every little snippet, he just seems like a really encouraging guy. It was funny. Um, very, very intelligent man. Um, and Kevin, like I said earlier, Kevin O'Neill kind of helped he and I talk. And even after Kevin left, uh, we, we we still were able to you know communicate very well. But yeah, uh, I liked Rick. He was he was from like my, my of my line of coaches. He was the first coach that I ever really liked. Um, 
me and my college coach didn't get along too well. Me and my high school coach, he didn't play me just because I was a sophomore and a freshman, but I'm AAU starting number two in the country type thing. Um, but he, for the first time, he, like I said, he, he taught me basketball. Like, it, it's still to this day. I sit there and I'm like, this guy better move off the top. This guy, it's just like he, he taught me. He, he can just look at it and figure it out. You know, like what, what, what he has down there in Dallas is amazing. Right. Um, Luca, that kid's amazing. Um, I, I have not seen a player this impactful since that little Jeremy Lin run, but this guy's like, like a workhorse. You know yeah, I mean? like he's sustaining it now. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like when Jeremy Lin made that run, that was crazy, you know? Yeah. Well, it may the difference that Luca doesn't have Carmelo trying to suppress the movement from the sidelines now. So bringing <laughs> bringing this thing full circle here, we we talked about a lot of stuff today. We talked about cards. We talked about the brawl. We talked about your time with the Pacers. Um, so with cards, you know, cards were probably a, a constant throughout that process. I know they weren't your central focus, but you were probably around them all the time. You saw them at games, at hotels, and all sorts of places. Um, did your perception of sports cards change at any point along the way? Did you get sick of seeing them? You know, do you have a new appreciation for them? They're amazing. Um, you know, like they used to, you know, you get them in a cigarette pack or you got them with bubble gum way back in the day and they, they grew into a multi-billion dollar industry. You know, I, I think it's, I think those they're pieces of art. So, um, to me, yeah. uh, I think they're absolutely amazing. Well, and even um, since since the time um, since your time in the league, things have really evolved. And like, there are some well, there are some LeBron cards which would have been prior, but then some Steph Curry cards and Anthony Davis, like specific ones. People are treating it as an investment vehicle. There are like cards that are worth ten thousand dollars, even modern cards, and it's crazy just to see how that's taken off recently. Um, I would say, you know, I never anticipated that. Uh, do you remember the Frank Thomas card without the name on it? Yeah, the, the error, error the error rookie. I remember that. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I don't remember the price, but I was a kid, and it could have been five hundred bucks. I probably thought they were selling it for a million. You know, right? Um, like I, I always saw these things kind of blowing up, but you know, it's been a, it's, it's like I said, multi-billion dollar market, um, and I, I, I and it's it's art. Um, back that like I, the rare the, the more rare like if I was good if I would have been an all-star and I had this little of cards my cards would actually be worth a lot of money <laughs> right but, but like I mean it, it's uh, it, it's just crazy well there and it's it's there are all sorts of factors that are hard to predict like I talked about you know you have you have autographs that sell for a dollar or two dollars because you signed a lot of them and then there's that one set that you know, we don't know what happened with where today one of them selling for a hundred dollars, which you probably thought was unheard of. It's it's just crazy the the factors there, the set collectors. You know, as long as two people need that card, it can drive that price up, and it's it's just weird how that works. But um, all right, so that about does it for our interview today, David. I've had a blast. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Before I go, I I do want to give you a moment to plug any sort of, you know, if you have blogs or social media, 
anything that you want to promote for listeners at home, feel free to do so. Honestly, uh, just everybody just love one another and be happy. You know, uh, there's a lot of bad things going on and, uh, we're entering into Thanksgiving. So I just take this time you can get with your family. If you have that ability or, you know, just take this time with yourself and just try to find a way to smile. All right, so there you have it. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I'd like to extend a couple of thank yous to people who helped me out with this. First, thanks again to David for taking time out of his schedule to chat with me. I also want to extend a huge thank you to um, James, a.k.a. Captain Jack Collector on Instagram, for helping me clean up the audio as much as possible. You know, there's nothing we could do about the, the phone breaking up and the bad reception, but he did do quite a bit to help clean up some of the background noise along the way. So um, thank you, James, once again. Make sure that you give James a follow and let him know if you spot any cool um, Steven Jackson cards in the future. Um, And then to close out, those of you that follow me on social media, you might have seen that I recently acquired a David Harrison Exquisite RPA. And I've seen maybe three of these show up on eBay in the last three years, all three of them ending around the maybe $85 to $100 mark. This one happened to pop up a couple weeks after I interviewed David, which I thought was um, kind of a cool coincidence. And I got it for around $10 shipped because the seller misspelled exquisite. So um, it feels great to acquire the card, but it also takes on a new meaning to me now that I actually got to ask David about it, even if the mystery isn't solved. It was cool to finally own that card and talk to him about that card. Maybe some of you have had interactions with athletes that have made um, some of your favorite cards even more special to you. It's always nice when something has non-monetary value. That way, if the market ever drops out, it doesn't matter because it still has value to you. So if you have something like that, let me know on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, or my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.